Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's Friday, August 3rd, 2018, and you're listening to Up to Date. I'm Indre Viscontis. And I'm Kishore Hari. So what do you think plants do to tell the time of day? Uh, well, I didn't think plants could tell the time, but... My guess would be maybe just looking for light. They have some sort of light sensor in them. Yeah, you think. I mean, but they don't have they don't have eyes, right? So they can't see light. They don't have, you know, the kinds of cells that we do that sort of show the that the the sort of peripheral changes in light. But then there are there are many plants like uh, flowering plants or sunflowers that seem to track the movement of the sun across the sky in some way. Yeah, you might think there could be some sort of chemical reaction happening, something with like photosynthesis that they're reacting to some of the chemical changes related to that. And that's helping them track. And then you might think, well, why is it important for, you know, plants to know what time of day it is? And well, that's because, you know, pollinators, uh, you know, will come at certain times of day. Uh, they so they have to know when to release their scent so that they they can encourage those pollinators to come towards them. Uh, but they also want to make sure that they don't overuse their energy reserves and therefore you know not have enough energy to get through the night. Uh, so scientists have been interested in in sort of how. Uh, plants tell time. And I, I guess I had really hadn't thought about it uh, for a while. I think circadian rhythms in humans is one of the most fascinating aspects of our psychology, uh, since we have so many different biological clocks that, you know, track time at different scales, right? We have, you know, the ability to track very quick rhythms, but then also, you know, to tell the, you know, changes in, in seasons and, and sort of the 24 hour cycle being sort of the most prominent circadian clock. But, you know, a few years ago, there was a study that came out showing that the way that they accumulate sugars in the plant is another way in which they tell what time of day it is. Uh, and recently, there was a study that came out of um, the University of Bristol. And this, this was uh, actually an international team of scientists. And they found that the mechanism by which these sugars are able to sort of trigger changes in the plant that and, and gender that essentially change its behavior with respect to what time of day it is. Like, how much of a difference are we talking about in like the amount of sugar? Like at three o'clock, is it this like incredibly measurable difference versus, you know, first thing in the morning? Um, I mean, so yeah, so they're not going to be able to tell you, you know, to the minute what time it is. But over the course of a 24 hour period, we see these oscillations of the uh, proportion of sugars uh, in the plant. And they, you know, they peak uh, at a certain time of day, and then they come back down again. So they're these sort of like sigmoidal curves. And they do track light. Uh, so it's, it's, it's obviously related to photosynthesis. And when there's, you know, more photosynthesis happening, 
then there's uh, more sugar expressed uh, and, and so forth. Uh, but I just thought it was really interesting that they they got to, you know, the real nitty gritty of sort of the, you know, the genetic basis of how the plant actually tracks the circadian rhythm. Man, daylight savings must really screw up those plants, though. <laughs> Their clocks must be way off. Yeah, uh, plants don't care. <laughs> uh, last year... We shot an episode of our uh, show, Science and Progress, at Tested that I think I, I creeped you out a little bit. Um, do you remember when I brought in the pig hearts? I do remember. You brought in a lot of them. I brought in a whole box of pig hearts with this idea that we were going to set up a pump and pump some detergent through the heart, as it, almost like making it beat a little bit. And this like detergent and, and uh, salt mixture... Uh, with some enzymes was going to slowly strip away the cells of the heart, just leaving the scaffold intact. Yep. It didn't totally work, but it has worked for other people. Uh, you can do this at home. There are DIY instructions for this. But more, uh, moreover, many uh, research labs use this technique as a way of exploring organ uh, generation, where particular cells can be grown in these scaffolds to create organs that could be transplantable. Well, a new study came out just this week in Science Translational Medicine that did just this. They took a set of pigs and had donor pigs provide lungs. Then they essentially decellularized the heart just like we did with, or decellularized the lung like just like we did with the heart, and then regrew lung tissue in those scaffolds and then implanted them into different pigs. So wait, did they use the the cells of the pig that the recipient pig in order to grow is that is that was that the whole point i mean why wouldn't they just do a lung transplant yeah so well the idea is like whether or not we could actually grow organs for transplantation so that it is a much faster process so it's not just one to one but you could create harvest cells and and generate them um, sort of on the fly as opposed to waiting for a match. So does that, but there's, oh, I see. So does that mean that you still need the scaffolding? So you still need a donor unless, are they suggesting that you might be able to make the scaffold somehow in, in the lab as well? Or yeah, there's, there's two things. I think the, the idea is in the future that the scaffold doesn't need to come from, it doesn't need to have like the, the, uh, the recipient's makeup uh, in terms of DNA to, to prevent an immune response. So they can have the scaffold from any uh, sort of donor. But there's also work being done, and it's not referenced in this paper, to create artificial forms of that scaffold. So that scaffold hmm. could just exist. They actually grew these lungs. It, it only took them 30 days to grow them in a bioreactor tank. So they had the, the donor cells, but then just put a lot of like nutrient cells around it as well. So hmm. it's not it's not exactly that you have to have all of this material from the recipient to to grow this lung. And 30 days is fairly fast. Uh, that number kind of astounded me. They actually did the implantation and the pig didn't survive the, uh, the implantation for an extended period of time. But the few that, that did receive it, one survived for 10 hours, another for a couple of weeks. One actually survived two whole months after the surgery which is pretty exceptional for a lung transplant. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess that the question is, how long do they last in, you know, in, in the pig with a, with a regular lung transplant? I don't know the difference. That's a good question. But I, I think the long-term hope uh, for something like lungs, which is not 
an easy organ to transplant in humans. I think there's something like 1,500 people currently on a wait list for a lung transplant. So if this could you know, progress to the point where we have human transplantation, where you can actually grow this tissue, that would cut down on the wait time and service a need. I mean, you've had many discussions on our show about the market for uh, matching transplant. Yeah, I mean, 1,500 seems like a really low number. Um, certainly in the kidney and, and liver transplant worlds, that, that number is closer to you know 100,000. Uh, so I think that this is definitely a step forward. And I do believe that you know eventually in the future, this is where we're going to be. And it's, it's exciting to see that we're one step closer. And then maybe we could just turn that video into DIY instruction on how to, how to create transplantable organs at home. Um, or maybe we should leave that to the experts. Okay. <laughs> Let's take a short break. We'll be back with one more story. This episode is sponsored by My Memory Bank. Would you consider yourself financially minded and someone who knows how to maximize earnings? What if we told you that you could be earning a lot more interest with Memory Bank's Earn More Checking? Memory Bank's Earn More Checking account pays 1.6% annual percentage yield. That's 30 times the national average on interest. They don't have confusing monthly requirements that you have to fulfill to earn this great rate, and your deposits will start growing from $1. Their online account opening process only takes 10 minutes, and their online banking platform is easy to use with features like mobile deposit, bill pay, and external transfer ability. But best of all, since Memory Bank is the digital arm of a well-established community bank, it was designed to give you a community bank feel while focusing on innovation. So you get the best of both worlds. Visit mymemorybank.com minds to apply and start earning 1.6% APY today. 1.6% annual percentage yield APY as of June 28, 2018, paid on earn more balances from one penny to 250000 For funds in excess of 250000 0.5% APY will be earned. $50 minimum opening deposit. Message and data rates may apply. Member FDIC. So I have one more story for you that caught my eye. So you know what the Fields Medal is, right? Yeah, that's basically the Nobel Prize for mathematics. Yeah, I mean, really exciting every year. Very important, obviously, for mathematicians. And this year, uh, one of the four joint recipients was a, a man named Kocher Burkar, uh, who is a former refugee of Kurdish-Iranian origin. So imagine, you know, the kinds of obstacles he had to overcome in order to win the Fields Medal. Now, imagine you are him and you've just won the Fields Medal, you know, and you're at the banquet in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, what do you do with the actual medal? I, I keep it like on my person at all times because this is probably like the greatest day of my life. <laughs> okay. Well, he put it in his briefcase, locked it up. And then just a few minutes later, he realized that his briefcase had gone missing. It contained his the, the no. medal, his wallet, and his cell phone. Like yep. he's at the banquet for the Fields Medal. Yeah, and within and, minutes, it's gone. <laughs> and it wasn't like the organizers are like, took it back for like, you know, we got to engrave this or, you know, like they do with the Oscars. Yeah, well, you would hope. But um, unfortunately, they found the briefcase uh, shortly after just outside the venue and the Fields Medal was gone. Oh, my goodness. It actually did get stolen. Yep. So what do you do if you have a Fields Medal and you didn't earn it? <laughs> like, where do you put that? Well, I hope they use math to solve this mystery. Have they recovered it? 
as, as far as I know, they have not recovered it. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that they give him a new one because that would be extremely sad. It, and is the me- metal itself valuable? I mean, I understand it's valuable like for the for the prize itself. But is it like made of gold or something? It, like it is. That? Yeah, I think it is made of gold. Um, but, you know, compared to the Nobel Prize, uh, the the cash prize is only $11,500. Um, so I think really, you know, the the kind of, you know, the, the, the sentimental value of the metal far outweighs the sort of, you know, cost of it, its materials. That is a crazy story. I mean, I can imagine that, you know, in some like dark web auction, you know, someone is going to pay a lot of money for that metal. Why would you pay money for a field medal? Because what, like you said, what are you going to do with it? Like put it up in your bookcase and be like, that's a field medal that I stole. (laughs) Well, I guess so. I guess people, maybe that's where you put it in your yacht or something. I guess like every British museum is a testament to that same idea, though. Here's a bunch of stuff that we stole from other countries and put up on the wall. It's beautiful. Yep. So if you're thinking, if you're thinking you had a bad day, uh, at least you're not um, Coucher Birkar. So we uh, we send him our um, deepest condolences. And uh, that's it for this episode of Up to Date. We're taking Monday off. Uh, we'll be back next week. So we'll see you then. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.